Well, good morning, Journey. My name is Mike Evans. I'm the family pastor here at JCI. I would invite you to open your Bible to 1 John chapter 4 and kind of just... Put your finger there. We'll be there in a few minutes. Um, I first want to say how grateful I am for the opportunity to share uh, from God's word in my life with you this morning. I'm very humbled and honored um, to share about an issue and a challenge that so many people in our world, in our country, and yes, right here in our church deal with and wrestle with on a consistent basis. We are in week five of a series we've been calling Address the Mess and the whole goal of this series has been simply this, to, to, to tackle tough issues that so many people in our church and community face, but always to land in a place where we offer hope in Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to tackle the issue of mental health. You know, uh, when we were talking about uh, what we were going to teach through this series and the topic of mental health came up, Pastor Christian just kind of looked at me and said, that's you, Mike. And I was like, what do you mean by that, Christian? He goes, you fill in the blank, man. You go. <laughs> Mental health, what is it? Uh, Let's start there. Mental health is a person's condition. And as I preach this message, you're probably going to say he was right. Um, Mental health is a person's condition with regard to their psychological and emotional well-being. That's the definition. In other words, how people are doing on the inside, the part you don't see, the part that isn't apparent visibly to people. And a few things about mental health as we get rolling here. Um, Would you be interested to know that at least... At least statistics tell us, statistics tell us half of adults in America today deal with challenges related to their mental health at any given moment. Half, from depression to anxiety to eating disorders to the ways we deal with stress. There are actually dozens of, of, of mental health challenges out there, and at least half of adults at any given time are facing it. Statistics also tell us that one in five young people, and I think that statistic is low, grapple with mental health challenges as well. And on this Memorial Day weekend, I think it's important to note and maybe to be sobered by this fact that did you know that every day at least 22 American veterans end their lives by suicide due in large part to issues related to what we're going to address today? Did you know that more firefighters and police first responders die by suicide than in the line of duty mainly due to mental health challenges with what they see and what they face. I have a friend here at JCI who after the birth of her second child, she experienced postpartum depression so severely as a married mother of two small boys that she considered ending her life just to stop the sadness and the pain of what was going on inside of her. I have another friend who also attends our church here that for a prolonged season in his life, he, would st- he writes, he would stare straight ahead, right, straight at the darkness. Minutes would pass by, hours. And with no reason to get up, no reason to leave his closet, he was empty and something was dying inside of him. Friends, this issue is real and it's in our face and it will not and it cannot and should not be ignored. And as followers of Jesus here at Journey, we have the opportunity to address this mess and to help people find a way to hope and healing and wholeness through Jesus. That's why we exist. You know that, right? To point people to Jesus and to build a community that brings hope to people who are hurting. That's why we're here. And that's, I'm so, I'm so privileged. That's why I said earlier that I'm so honored to be a part of this church and to be a part of this mission that we're on to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. But so often we don't think we can make a difference in the world because we're hurting on the inside. Well, today, I want to bring some hope 
to you. And that's really the first main thing I wanna do this morning is, is to offer you some hope rooted in the fact that you're not alone. And the second thing I wanna do is offer you some direction rooted in the truth that God never wastes pain. He never wastes a hurt. God's specialty is redeeming pain so that he can use you to impact other people to deal, with what you, to deal well with what you're dealing with today. And that leads us today, to today's big idea. It's simply this. For someone you know and care about or for your, you yourself who might be facing the challenges of mental health, the big idea today is this. Don't be ashamed that you struggle with issues related to mental health. Often your greatest impact will flow out of your greatest pain. Once again, don't be ashamed that you struggle with issues related to mental health. Often your greatest impact will flow out of your greatest pain. And so whether you're in this room here this morning or you're watching online, hope it's not raining where you are, <laughs> um, that's really today's big idea. A little story for you. June 26th, 2000 was one of the craziest days of Mike Evans's life. And it really started the night before. We are, my wife, who will be married 26 years this summer, uh, my wife was pregnant with our third child at the time. And that on June 25th, uh, she, her water broke and she went into labor. So we went to the hospital and everything was going great until about five o'clock in the morning when um, the doctor very gently said, Wendy, I need you to not push. I need you to stop. We're gonna take the baby another way. And they wheeled her into another room and 10 minutes after they wheeled her into that room, my baby boy was born by C-section. And when they opened her up, we realized that the cord was wrapped around his neck three times. We needed that doctor or my son would have been suffocated probably as he went through the birth canal. <clears throat> but that was kind of the beginning of the day, June 26th at five o'clock that morning when we gave birth, when Wendy gave birth to, to our son, Zach. Well, later that day, my mom, uh, who, had, who was in, we were living in California at the time and my mom, Came to, uh, came to visit us from Texas. And so she had the kids with the other, the other two kids with her, Andy and Katie, who were five and almost two at the time. Um, she came up to the hospital so that she could meet her new grandson and Andy and Katie could meet their new baby brother. And they spent a couple hours in the hospital with us. And I told my mom, I said, mom, when you get... Um, when you get home, uh, just don't, don't let the, they're gonna wanna play outside because that's who they are. So don't like, don't let them. <laughs> Open the garage door, go in, close the garage door behind you, go in, make dinner, do baths, put them to bed, call it a night. We're all exhausted. We're all tired. We've all had a long day. And so she did that. She went in, uh, opened the garage door, drove in, closed the garage door and went to start working on dinner. And when, um, while my mom was working on dinner, my little stinker <laughs> didn't obey his grandmama. See, here's what you need to know to kind of make the story uh, work. Uh, four days before um, June 26th was June 22nd, and that was my son's fifth birthday. And for his fifth birthday, Andy boy got him a Razor scooter. You guys remember those things, those little scooters you scoot around on? And uh, he wanted to ride around on his scooter. And so he, while mom was, while mom was busy making, my, my mom was busy making dinner, Andy boy raised the garage door, went outside, and just started riding around on his scooter. And she didn't even know he was doing it until until she heard a blood-curdling scream from in front of our house. She ran outside, and there was Andy laying in the driveway. The Razor scooter was laying next to him, and he was laying next to the Razor scooter, and wouldn't you know, his right arm was at a right angle. He, was, he had broken his arm. Now, I don't know any of this is happening, right? I'm at the hospital with my wife and my new son. I get a phone call in my wife's room and I pick it up. I'm like, who in the world is calling me? So I picked it up, I picked it up like on the phone in the hospital. We didn't really have a cell phone. This is 2000, guys. Um, <laughs> we really had a cell phone. But uh, 
pick up the phone, hello. And they say, is this Mr. Evans? I say, yes. And I, who is this? And they say, this is the paramedics. And I'm like, well, how can I help you? And they say, well, we have your son. I'm like, no, you don't. Oh, that one. What happened? And they said, well, he broke his arm and we need you to meet us downstairs in the emergency room. My first thought was this may as well happen, right? I mean, my deductible's already met, hospital bills to be paid for. I mean, you know, I'm a guy. That's the kind of stuff we think about, right? <laughs> it's not how is he, is he alive? No, what's this gonna cost me? That was my first thought. I was tired, okay, give me a break. So I went downstairs and I ended up sitting with Andy while the doctor reset his arm. And I'd been doing great the whole day. I was being supportive and the good husband and all that stuff. But when I heard that, and they pulled a chair under me and I sat down and put my head between my proverbial legs and had to kind of catch my breath. So anyway, here's why I tell you all this. My wife was in trouble physically. My son was in trouble physically and she needed a doctor if she was going to be okay and he was going to be okay. My five-year-old son, that stinker, also needed a doctor. And he, did that do- he needed that doctor to fix him up so that he would be on the road to heal physically. You see, when we have physical and visible problems or challenges, we go to the doctor to fix our messes, right? But here's my question this morning. What about when things break in here? What about when things break in here in our mind? How do we address the mess when we face mental or emotional pain or challenges that we can't handle ourselves. Our bandwidth just is not large enough to handle the pain that's going on inside of us. And if you've been through it, you know this, that it is no fun dealing with mental or emotional pain, walking through your days with a limp, with a heart that's hurting or a mind that's broken. And you just, if you've been there, you know what I mean? You just can't seem to reset. You're like, this isn't like me. I'm not this way, but this is where you're at now. And you just kind of exist through your days. And you think about where Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they might have life and and have it more abundantly. And you think about that abundant life that Jesus promises. and, And that is like a pipe dream for you. You're nowhere near that. You're just trying to exist through the day. So how do we fix a heart that hurts? How do we fix a mind that's broken? How do I get myself or the people I most deeply care about from a place of hope, from a place of hurt to a place of hope, from a place of discouragement to a place of encouragement, from a place of darkness? So many of us know that darkness to a place of light. Before I step into sharing with you some scripture about how we can make that happen, at least take steps towards making that happen, let me say this. I'm not gonna even pretend to be able to in the remaining few minutes we have in this environment to even try to fix what challenge you or a loved one you have in your life faces. Nor am I qualified to diagnose those challenges. I know that, that's not my intent. What I wanna share with you are just some proven, helpful principles that will help to get you on that road. But before we get there, how many of you have ever been in a place where you're struggling? And you've had people say, maybe even well-meaning people, say things to you that weren't helpful at all. Anybody with me? Yeah, lots of hands in the air. I have too. Here's some things that people have said to me before. Maybe you've heard these as well. Hey, uh, Mike, why don't you suck it up? You just need thicker skin, man. I mean, like, look at your life. Look at your family. They're all healthy. You're not hungry. You've got enough money in the bank to make it through the week. You're good. Why, what do you have to, to cry? What do you have to 
feel sorry for yourself about, suck it up. Not helpful. Not helpful. And, but here's what happens. If you're anything like me, part of you is probably saying, you know what, you're right. I, I kind of do need to suck it up. I got a pretty good life. Things are, things are going well in my life. But, but the question is, well, why can't I raise my arms? Like, why can't I get out of bed? Why can't this anxiety just leave me? Why am I not okay? When everything on the outside seems like I should be okay. I mean, like if I'd lost my job or if my wife had left me or something like something tragic had happened, that would make, it would make sense to how I'm feeling and what's going on inside of me. But everything seems good, but I'm a mess and suck it up. No, that's not helpful. Maybe you've heard this one. Here's another one. I kind of alluded to it a minute ago. Just stop feeling sorry for yourself. You're making everyone else feel bad. You look so sad and it's not helpful. I've heard that before. You know what, you know what thought comes to my mind when, when people say that to me? Well-meaning, trying to go, hey man, you know, just be positive. It's okay. Accentuate the positive. You can do it. Shut up. No, <laughs> no. Here's what I think. I think, I guess I should just go in the corner. I guess I should just go back to my room, binge watch Netflix, stare at the wall. At least then I wouldn't drag everyone else down. Maybe you've heard this one. Someone said this to me once. Hey, Mike, my life's hard too and you don't see me crying about it. I wanted to look at that lady who said that to me and say, well, maybe you should and get some help like I've done, you know? (laughs) Or maybe you've heard this one before. You know what you need to do? Mike, you need to go in your closet and you need to just pray it away. Now, I'm not minimizing the power of prayer. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is a huge tool in helping people find hope and healing. Prayer is our conversation with God. But when even a well-meaning person says something like that, like, hey, uh, pray it away, that's not helpful. We don't tell people to pray away heart disease. We don't tell people to pray away diabetes. We don't tell people to pray away a broken bone. It makes just as little sense to tell someone to pray away their mental illness or challenge. Prayer is important, but I would just encourage you to be careful with that advice. Rather than saying, go pray it away, why don't you try this? Hey, could I pray with you? Hey, could I pray for you? Hey, could I gather some people around you and and we can just kind of maybe help you and help you process what's going on in your heart? Hey, can, can the body of Christ come alongside you? Hey, um, there's a counselor I know who uh, really specializes in helping people through this area uh, in a biblical way. Hey, can I, can I go with you to that appointment and sit in the lobby while you sit with that counselor? See, that's called helping. Telling someone to pray it away, even if it's well-intended, it's not helpful. And can I just say this to you this morning? If someone has said something like one of the things I shared with you, or maybe something else kind of along those lines, well-meaning but not helpful, can I just say this to you this morning? Can I say I'm sorry? I'm so sorry that if at some point you have struggled in your mental health or someone you love and care about has struggled in their mental health and people have, even in a well-meaning way, maybe even people in the church have said unhelpful and hurtful things like these to you and well-meaning though they are, they've just piled onto the pain in your heart and they've left you to deal with the shrapnel of their horrible advice in addition to what you're already struggling with. That's not fair. And I'm so sorry. 
And if you felt that, I really apologize and I'm so glad you're here today to hear this message because my prayer and our pastoral team and our whole church's team has been praying for you that today God would help you to find help and hope and healing through this message today. You see, because mental health issues are a real thing and we can try to act like we or those we love have it all together and we don't. We can put a veneer of happiness on our faces. We can fix our faces when we're not. We can wear a mask that hides what we're really going through and just kind of try to get through each day when it doesn't. You see, unresolved mental health challenges are like a beach ball that you picture yourself sitting in a swimming pool. Our neighborhood pool opened yesterday, yay. Um, but they're like, a, they're like a beach ball that you push under the water and you try to keep under the water. And you can do that for a while, but eventually your arms get tired. Eventually you lose your focus. Eventually something hits you and you just let go of it. And what happens? That challenge is boom, it's right there. And you displace it or you, you release it on somebody you actually care about. You're dealing with stress in your life and the person you love the most walks in the room and that beach ball pops up. Has that happened in your family like it has in mine? And you yell at your spouse or you yell at your kids and you're like, why am I yelling at you? I'm not even mad at you. And they're like, I don't know. Why are you yelling at me? Stop it, you know. But that happens. That beach ball comes out sometimes at the worst possible moment, right? And we've got to deal with that. How do we deal with that? How do we get on this road to hope and to healing that God wants us to have that the church is here to help you get to? I want to answer that question this way. Six years ago, Pastor Rick Warren, one of the pastor of Saddleback Church in Orange County, California, one of the most influential churches in America today, he and his wife Kay got a phone call that no parent ever wants to get, that no friend of someone you care about who's struggling with mental illness ever wants to get. They got a phone call that in April of, that this was in April of 2013, five days after Easter, their son, Matthew, who was 27 years old, after a lifetime of struggling with mental health challenges, took his own life. Can you imagine? Pastor Rick and his wife took many months to grieve and to grapple with the loss of their son. And as a result of their loss, many months after their son's suicide, they began a ministry called Hope for Mental Health. And this whole ministry is built around this, um, this, these five negative messages and five scriptural truths that they call the hope circle. And in each part of this circle that I'm gonna introduce to you today, just to maybe help you get on the road to help and health and healing, or maybe to help you help someone else get to that road of health and healing. Each part of that circle, there's a negative message we allow ourselves to believe, and then a corresponding truth of scripture that applies to the situation. And the rest of this, our time together, that's what I wanna do. I wanna walk you through it and I wanna pray for you in just a second. And I wanna ask that you would ask yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to maybe prompt in your own heart responses to these questions as I walk through the hope circle with you. God, is this me? Is this one me? Is this one that me and you have to deal with? What are you saying? What negative message am I listening to? What promise from your word can I claim? How can you and your people help me to heal from this, to grow from this, to allow the pain that I'm feeling to not be wasted, but to one day be a ministry. I wanna pray for you and pray that God would reveal that to you in a sensitive and tender way as only his Holy Spirit can. I'm not smart enough or good enough to do it, but his Holy Spirit is, right? So let's pray and ask for God's direction. God, as I introduce this hope circle, I sense in my spirit that there are people here that are desperately hurting. 
and who desperately need the hope that we're gonna talk about in the next few minutes, would you in a way that only you can do open hearts? Would you in a way that only you can do break through the negative messages and bring healing? Help us to see some light. Help us to see some hope. Help us to see this truth and to allow it to set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. So the hope circle, negative messages combated by spiritual or scriptural truths. The negative, first method, negative message I want us to look at is one that says, I hate myself. That's pretty tough, isn't it? It's pretty, okay, well, Mike's, let's start with a softball there, Evans, good. No, I started there because this is, a, this is a really important one that we need to talk about. And maybe you don't say those exact words. Maybe you look at the, yourself in the mirror or you compare yourself to other people or other people's life situations or families and you say this, you say, I don't like what I see. I don't like what I see. I thought I would be in a way different place in my life than I am right now. I thought I would look a way different way than I look right now. I thought our financial situation would be in a much different place than it is now. You fill in the blank of whatever it is that that the Lord is beginning to surface in your life. There's a lot of people here, there's a lot of people that you care about that when they wake up in the morning, and look at themselves when they wake up in the morning and they compare themselves to the lives or their, at least the perceived lives of other people, they don't like what they see. What does the Bible say to the person who hates themselves? What does the Bible say to that? Well, if you're really honest, if we're really honest this morning and I'm trying to, trying to be really honest with you and I pray that you would be honest with God, the way you view yourself is not at all the way God sees you if that's the, the negative message you're buying. I love how Pastor Brian last week, he, he kept it so simple and did such a great job just saying, he sees you, man. That's the, that's the sentence I got from Brian's message. I don't know if what, whatever you got from it, but that he sees you, he notices you, he cares about you. The scriptural truth that, that combats this negative message is simply this, that you are loved, you are noticed, that he sees you. First John chapter four, verse 10 John writes, the apostle John writes this, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, God loved you in your sin, in your brokenness, in your pain. God loved you there, not because of anything that you have done, not because of anything you could do, not because of how good or how great you are or how good or great you think you are. God reached down into your sin, into the mess of your life. And he says, I love you unequivocally, totally, without reservation. There's nothing you could do to it. Like the song says, there's nothing you could do to earn it. And you certainly don't deserve it. But he loves you where you're at. I love how my favorite author, uh, Philip Yancey, in my favorite book outside of the Bible, What's So Amazing About Grace, says it this way. He says, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more, and there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. You are loved. You are not a mistake. I remember after they casted Andy's five-year-old, little five-year-old arm there in the hospital, and my wife say, um, told me, um, hey, Mike, why don't you just take, take Andy home, and uh, I'll be fine in the hospital with Zach. It'll be good, and uh, we'll just, you can just come back in the morning. So I did that. I took Andy home, and uh, we sat down in his, uh, in, uh, got him cleaned up, got him some food, all that kind of stuff, and, uh, and we sat, we sat, I sat down on his bed, got him in bed, and I actually laid down in bed with him next to him. And I needed, I needed to have that talk, you know, like the, hey, son, you're okay now, but you know you blew it. Like, you really blew it. Yeah, the reason you have a broken, what I really wanted to say is, 
you're too expensive, you're a liability, not an asset, and you really blew it. That's what I really wanted to say to my son, let's be honest. But the Holy Spirit takes over, and I looked at him, and I said, son, you know you disobeyed your grandma, right? And he said, yes, dad, I know. And I said, son, you know you disobeyed your mom and dad too, don't you? And he said, yep, I do. And I said, and son, you know it was wrong, right? He said, yes, daddy. And the tears started from right here and they were kind of working their way up. So I knew that there was kind of breaking happening, which is kind of what you want as a parent. You want him to truly be sorry and truly feel it. And so, so um, when he was there in that, in that moment, what do you think I did? Do you think I looked at him and go, you idiot. Why do you do it? Why are you doing this to me? These are some things we sometimes say when we're in that place, right? You should hate yourself for doing something as stupid as that, son. Of course, I didn't say that to Andy, boy. I put my arms around him, his little five-year-old stinker arms, and I prayed with him. And we prayed a prayer of forgiveness. And I told him that I loved him. And there's this little children's book that we would read together. And it's, it says, I love you around the world. And, and then the next page says, I love you. It's a dad to his kid animal. I can't remember what the animal is now, but he says it to his son, animal. Not, story's not going well, but uh, <laughs> he says it to his son. He, he says, I love you around the world, son. And the son says, I love you around the world and back. And the next page, the dad says, I love you around the world and back and back. And then the next page says, I love you around the world and back and back and back. And the whole book kind of goes and back and back and back and back. And every night when Andy and I say we love each other, would say we love each other when we were little, he would end up yelling and back and back and back, you know, because that's him, right? He always had to have the last word. Still, he's 23 years old. And that's still how he is. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. It's true. God loves you around the world and back and back and back. He's crazy there's nothing you could do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you could do to make him love you less. He, you are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. Some of you walked in here and you said, I'm a mistake. You are not a mistake. The second negative message that we tell ourselves goes like this. I don't matter. Some sentences you might say to yourself, what difference do I make? Would anyone even notice if I wasn't here? The world would be better off without me. Some people here today, that's, that's your sentence. That's your negative message that's swimming around in your head. The scriptural truth that I would combat that with is simply this, that you have purpose. I know the, Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Friend, there's a plan, there's a point, and there's a purpose to your life. There's a plan, a point, and a purpose to your life. You may walk into your day thinking you don't matter. Oh, you matter. That's why It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite movie. Because it tells us that we matter. You matter to God. You matter to us. You're important. And for all those who don't think they make a difference, you do. You matter to God and you matter to us. The third negative message so many of us listen to and just let mess with our heads is this. I don't fit in. Sentences you might say to yourself, I always try to figure out what other people think to me. Mike, if I was to be honest with you, I'm an approval addict. And as a guy who's involved in student ministry and has been for a really long time, 
I'm around kids all the time that this is their sentence. They just feel like they don't fit in because, because some, this guy or this girl doesn't like him or this guy or girl didn't say hi to him or this guy or this girl wasn't nice to him at school or wouldn't let him sit by him or whatever it is. And, and if, you're, if, if the negative message, I don't fit in, is where you're at today, then I have some hope I wanna give you. Maybe here to, you're here today and, and church isn't something you've done before or done Maybe since you were a little kid and the, the songs and the language and the culture we have here, you're kind of freaked out by it. Like you're still trying to figure out why people are nice to you in the hallway when they don't really know you. Like that messes with your head a little bit. <laughs> maybe you're here today and, and you, uh, maybe you're here today and you uh, just have some different ideas about God, Jesus, and Christianity. And you're wondering if you can be in this place with the ideas that you have. Like you see things differently than how you think we see things. And so you're just wondering today if you fit. Maybe you're here today and you're single and you look around and you think everyone here is married and happy. Or maybe you're married, but you're unhappily married and you think every married couple in here is happily married. You fill in the blank, whatever it is, whatever it is that's swimming around in your head that tells you that you don't fit in. Can I combat that with a spiritual truth out of Romans chapter 12 that would say you belong? You belong. For just as Romans 12, four through five says this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and hear this, each member belongs to all the others. Like, you're not your own. You belong to Jesus, but guess what? You also belong to each other. That's the, that's the truth that I want to drill home on this. For everyone who thinks they don't fit in, oh, you don't only fit in, but you have a gift, you have a talent that God has given you, and he's given that to you so that you can help build the body of Christ, so that you can help, help the church. And there's few things more awesome in my life. My life, in so many ways, kind of revolves around Wednesday night in our student ministry. We have a couple hundred kids and a bunch of adult leaders here, and it's a blast. We worship together, I'll teach, and then they have what is really the heartbeat of our ministry, our small groups. And most of our small groups are five to 15 kids led by adult leaders. That's what most of them are. But there's this one group in our student ministry, and we kind of call it the boys, okay? And this, this group of boys is led by four guys, a guy named Caleb, a guy named Jeff, a guy named Zach, and a guy named Jason. And I have tried, I started kind of directly working with student ministry in January, and I here at JCI, and I kind of wanted to like make those, that large group make it smaller so that we could like, really get work done, right? Like, like uh, you know, you want to make the big church small. You want to make the, you know, you want to create some community and, and that happens best in the context of small groups. And, and I walk in, I would walk in week after week and there's like 25, 35 guys in this room and they're just, they all smell and they're all, you know, coming from practice and they just, they're loud and obnoxious like me. And anyway, but they're all loud. And uh, I'm just like, I walk in week after week. I would go, guys, this is ridiculous. This isn't a small group. This is a youth group, didn't I, Jeff? Yeah, all the time, I just come in. And so finally, one day, I got this great idea. Here was my idea. I said, I'm gonna take the underclassmen out of the group, and I'm gonna go lead them over there. Yeah, y'all know where this is going, don't you? So, so I do that. All the freshmen and sophomores, and I take them into this other room, and I walk them through the, the curriculum that I put together, and they're just kind of just sitting there, staring at me. I mean, like, if these guys had a weapon they would have used it on me, especially Lucas Eccles, if y'all know Lucas, okay? Which if you don't know him, it's okay, but he's, he would have, right? And I get to the end of the, the time to, with those guys and I'm like, dudes, like, hey, this is me. You, we love each other. This is fine. You'll be with those guys in 10 minutes. It's 
fine, you'll be together. And I was like, what's the problem? And one of those boys looked at me and he said this. He said, Mike, you took us away from our brothers. And I thought to myself, you know what? Yeah, I did. And so many people so long for community. They so long for connection. They so long for that feeling like they belong, like they fit, like they have a place, that when they get it, they know it and they won't let go of it. And I had to confess to them, I'm sorry, guys, my bad. We belong to each other, friends. And if you haven't found that yet here, keep going, keep trying, keep looking. God wants to bring that to you. You are loved, you matter, you belong. The fourth negative message we listen to is this, I wanna give up. Man, this is so huge, it's so important. Don't let this, this one get away from us. Sentences you might say yourself, say to yourself, I've tried so hard and just can't seem to get around the corner. Financially, you know, the debt mountain just keeps growing when I keep trying to chisel away at it. Emotionally, I take two steps forward and end up feel like I take three steps back day after day and the anxiety, the depression, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, just doesn't seem to go away. It's this like shadow in my life. Spiritually, you try to lead spiritually at home in your family and it doesn't go well and just kind of falls apart and you feel like, what's the point? You keep making the same mistakes over and over again and the question you're asking yourself this morning is, is keeping after it really worth it? Am I the only one who's ever felt that? Did you ever ask that question, is it all worth it? The scriptural truth I would use to combat that is that you have a choice. And what I mean by that is this. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Those first six words of that passage, I wanna wanna zone in on and hammer down on for a second. Therefore, we do not lose heart. God is calling you to not lose heart to keep at it, to keep trying. Notice I did not say suck it up. I didn't say try harder like that. I didn't say pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just stick your chest out, show some grit and get after it. That's not what I said at all. That's what the suck it up mentality says. And that's not one that we want to live with. All that does is lead us into a place that we don't want to go. The difference between suck it up and a don't lose heart mentality is simply this. A don't lose heart mentality says, Jesus, I don't have it all together. I don't know what to do, but I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna lean into you. I'm gonna lean into a friend who can help me to get clearer eyes because right now my eyes are cloudy to see when I can't see. Choose to believe what is true, friend. He loves you around the world and back and back and back. And he wants you to lean into him. You have a choice though. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. I know it feels like you want to lose heart. Don't lose heart. The fifth negative message is this. I feel useless. A sentence you might say to say, say if we were sitting across the table at, in my office or at, at a restaurant here in town, it might be something that goes like this. I'm never going to heal, Mike. And the reason why is because I'm damaged goods. I mean, how could God love me? How could God want me? How could God choose me? How could God use me? I mean, Mike, the things I've done, the choices I've made, the people I've hurt, the people whose lives I've really hurt, maybe even ruined someone else's life, ruined a marriage, ruined a 
family, the things I've done, how could God use me? I'm damaged goods. Well, listen, can I say this to you this morning? Guess what? Me too. Me too. Me too. We are all damaged goods. There's nothing we could do to make God love us. God loves us in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sin. Jesus died when you were yet a sinner. That's good doctrine. Jesus died while you were a sinner. Christ died for you. The beauty of this church, the beauty of the community of believers that we have here is that we understand this, you guys, that this church is not a country club for saints who would proudly judge the hurting. That's not why we're here and that's not what we do. We understand that this is a hospital for sinners who need the hope and hope is found in Jesus Christ. This is a place where broken people get put back together. This is a place where we understand that we are all damaged goods. Guys, that's what sin does. That's what living in a sinful world is all about. One day we'll be in heaven and there will be no more sin. But while we're here, Jesus told us we will have trouble. He didn't say we may. He said we will. And if you feel like you have lost the opportunity to live a complete and fulfilled life, that is a negative message. No, I'll say it this way. That's a lie from the pit of hell. If you're not dead, you're not done. My life is living proof of it, and so is yours. The scriptural truth I would use to combat this negative message is simply this, that you are needed. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says this. If you don't hear anything, hear this from the word of God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves, hear that, that we ourselves receive from God. God never wastes a hurt. He redeems it. Let me give you some examples. The best person to minister to a struggling alcoholic is who? It's someone who's been through that same challenge, that same disease, that same deal, because you get it. The best person to minister to someone going through divorce is someone who's been there too. That's why we have a divorce care ministry here is because those people who lead that ministry, they get it and they understand it. The best person to minister to someone who's lost a loved one is someone who's also lost a loved one. That's why we have a grief share ministry here. See, God uses those of us who've experienced pain and loss to comfort others in their troubles so that we can one day bring, so that we can bring hope to them that one day they'll be where we are now if we're in a place of healing. Okay, so what now? Mike, you've said a lot. In fact, in this five-week series, Pastor Christian, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Brian last week, and I have shared a lot about some real messes, pornography, addiction, bitterness, anxiety, and now mental health. If I could take this five-week series and sum it all up into one theme, I would say this. There is hope found in Jesus Christ. There is hope in Jesus Take you back to our big idea. Don't be ashamed that you struggle with mental health. Often your greatest impact can come from your greatest pain. That hope circle diagram, you see it here that that Rick Rick Warren and his wife came that just walked you through. You are loved. You may hate yourself, but you're loved. You may feel like you don't matter, but you have a purpose. You may feel like you don't fit in. Friend, you belong. You may feel like you wanna give up. You have a choice. You may feel useless. Can I say to you this morning that you are needed? You are needed. 
I prayed earlier that God, that you would give God permission to work in your heart. So what has he said? What has he said? What does he wanna do in your heart? If you're hurting today and, or you have a friend who's hurting, I would encourage you to have him listen to this message. I would also encourage you to have him listen to the Activate podcast. Pastor Brandon and I earlier this week talked through some specific ways that you can find hope and health. I tell a few uh, silly stories in there, of course, because that's who I am. Um, but uh, I would encourage you to listen to that podcast and have others listen to it as well. We have a list of resources. If you just feel like, man, I just need to talk to somebody who's a professional. I need to talk to somebody who's been there and done that. Um, There's a list of resources on the app. There's a list of resources on the link at the bottom of your message notes. Um, You can text Journey Mental Health there to 474747 if you really feel like you need um, to talk to somebody. And uh, as I kind of close, I I do have to bring up one last thing that I really don't want to talk about. But this one last thing that I really don't want to talk about, I have to talk about for two reasons. Number one is because it's impacted our church this year. And I never want that to happen again. And number two, it's because there may be somebody in this room or maybe somebody, someone who's watching online or listening online who right now you're here this morning, but you don't know if you're going to make it to tonight. You don't know if it's, life is worth living anymore. And suicide is an option in your heart and in your life. Can I, with all the tenderness and sensitivity, I can muster in my spirit after doing this four times already today. Can I beg you that God has a point, a purpose, and a plan for your life? That's not just a fun little outline. That's truth. Let us sit with you. Let us cry with you. Let us pray with you today. Don't leave this place if suicide is an option in your heart without talking to somebody. And if you just can't do that, you can't lift your arms enough even to do that, text Journey Mental Health to 474747 and we'll get back to you as fast as we possibly can. You guys, God is with you. He is for you. He loves you and he will take the pain that you're experiencing and he will redeem it and use it as a ministry in someone else's life. And if you're on the other side of it, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You understand the the pain that you've been through that God has used to impact other people's lives, don't you? Persevere in that good work. That's why you're here. That's why God has you here. Those two friends of mine I shared with you about, shared about with you, uh, how do I, those two friends I shared with you about at the beginning of my message today, my friend who suffers from postpartum depression, she's doing awesome now. Through a lot of hard work, through a lot of prayer, through some counseling, all that stuff, and she is in full-time Christian ministry. And she's full of hope. And she's one of the most inspiring people I have the privilege of working with every day. Her name is Stephanie. My friend who was in that dark place, God delivered him too. Through a lot of hard work, counseling, a lot of time. And he's having a huge impact on the Lord, for the Lord through his vocation as a voice for Jesus Christ in our community. He's part of our church. His name's Ryan Lefevre. God doesn't condemn us for our pain. He doesn't tell us to suck it up or tough it out. He reaches down and he lifts us up. He walks with us through the pain. He doesn't accuse us and try to tell us to get better or tell us to suck it up or all those other crazy lies. He shows compassion. God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's what he specializes in. 
I'm living proof of that. Will you give him permission to bring hope to your heart today? Let's pray together and invite God to do just that. God, you have permission. You've had it. This whole sermon. In my heart, I pray that it's true in the hearts of my friends here as well. God, if there's even one person, whether they're listening on or watching online or in this room right now, who's contemplating suicide, oh God, in Jesus' name, would they talk to somebody? Would they pick up the phone and call a suicide hotline? Would they come forward and talk to one of our steps, Next Steps volunteers? Would they text that message? Just to help them, God, to do something. Help them to know that we can't help them if they don't ask for help, but help them to know that we'll come running to sit and pray and cry with them. Father, I pray for people here and people we know and love and care about who are listening to those negative messages and they're destroying them from the inside out like a cancer. God, would you help us to cling to the scriptural truths that we learned today for the sake of our soul, for the sake of our future, for the sake of the people who God wants to use us to minister to when we find hope and healing in the area we're struggling in right now. God, do what only you can do. Work in a way that it would only glorify you. You know me, you know my heart, you know how broken and how messed up I am and how much I need you every day. Thank you, Jesus, that years ago you saved my soul. Thank you, Jesus, that hundreds and hundreds of times over the years you've picked up the pieces of my broken heart, my broken life, caused sometimes by my sin, caused sometimes by what others have said or done to me. You've fixed it. God, would that prayer be answered for the people in this room who are desperately crying for that right now? We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you are a tender warrior, God. You fight for us, but you fight tenderly with grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.